1: high-profile public figures, and regular folks like me. You love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. So glad to have a place to talk politics and culture and important stuff without a bunch of screamers. And as always, if you like the show, tell someone else about it. Just tell them. Tell them, find somebody, they'll like it. (laughs) Listeners recommending our program to their friends and family who might like it is the number one way word gets out about what we're doing. I am your host, if you haven't figured that out yet, Corey Nathan. I'm going solo today, but I have a really terrific guest who's working on some really important things for our country. Andrew Regalado is legislative aide in the office of U.S. Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. Andrew's also the grassroots director of Country First, a political action committee that is a home for reasonable people of goodwill, seeking common ground to make our country better for future generations right up our alley. And we love the opportunity to talk with folks who are from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different age ranges. And Andrew definitely has a unique story and perspective to share with us. So, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing?
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Um, You know, I'm really, really, I'm doing well. It's been an eventful week and I'm, you know, I'm just happy to be here. This is my first time doing something like this. So
1: Yeah. And it seems you're rising up the ranks really quick here. When I started doing some research, you were legislative correspondent, now legislative aide. That's a big deal, man.
0: You know, I appreciate it. It's not definitely unprecedented, but I'm I'm grateful for you know what this journey has been so far, having graduated not too long ago from university. Yeah, I'm just enjoying here for the ride.
1: Enjoying awesome. It. Well, we are going to talk a lot about your education and your experience and and inter like so many different things that you did because I find it all fascinating. But before we get into any of that, I gotta ask you, you started out as a professional dancer. So tell me more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, whenever you know, people always ask. You know, when did you start either, you know, s- just start trying to make money or right, when do you start trying to do something maybe out of the norm? And I'm a proud Filipino-American and in my heritage, everyone has some sort of, you know, artistic flair, um, whether that's playing an inter- instrument, uh, singing or dancing for my family. And all my siblings did. And I'm actually the youngest of four children and so I wanted to be different right I wanted to be bigger than the world and I wanted to see at the table my older sister eldest sister is 10 years older than me my brother's seven years older than me and my other sister's uh six years older than me so large age gaps and so by the time it came to me I said you know everything that has been tried or done has probably already been done so let me you know let me get creative and so I guess that first thing dancing it's all I kind of knew as a you know as a child I was like let's go for it I'm from Southern California, LA is right down the highway. Um, let me try becoming famous. You know, it was a good stunt for a little while uh, before high school, of course, but it actually helped me save some money for college. And that's where all the money that I made as a child performer, I went, I put it to my my school, my education. So I'm grateful for
1: that. That's awesome. So, so what kind of dance was it?
0: Mainly hip-hop. I was a hip-hop guy, you know, I got trained in everything, but nothing made me more excited than Um, hip-hop. I grew up with, you know, Pitbull on the radio or Black Eyed Peas and at family parties, I mean, that's how we all bonded, right? Having a larger-than-life family of over 100 first uncles, aunts, cousins, it's fun. And dancing was something that always brought people together. Same way if you can eat a meal with someone, if you can share in the dance floor a moment, then... You know, you can you guys can be friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, OK, so you you had already alluded to this. You grew up in Southern California, granted the Inland Empire, uh, which isn't quite the same as, say, Santa Monica or West Hollywood, but so Cal nonetheless. And you ended up going into Republican politics. Were were there a lot of folks from your family or from where you grew up that gravitated towards the Republican Party or is that more of an anomaly?
0: Definitely an anomaly. You know, I'll start with saying my family's not a political family. On a holiday, at the dinner table, not something that, you know, was introduced to me ever at a young age. Both my immediate extended family and my, you know, my close immediate family. And so, you know... Firstly, I'd say just politics as a whole, and wanting to study political science was already out of the norm. Um, but being from Southern California, especially a Filipino family from Southern California, now I hate to harp on it again, but the average person, you know, that I went to high school with was taught go into science, right? That's something dependable. You I know, mean, my grandma was a pharmacist. That's what helped my family get, you know, immigrate from the Philippines to America. And so, you know, medicine or science was always, you know, the the suggested road. And so for me, I was just very passionate at a young age about leadership, right? Being part of something greater than self, making an impact in whatever space that you end up in and trying to lead that better than you found it, right? Um, Very Athenian-esque. But, you know, and I don't know necessarily exactly what, you know, drew me to that, but I would say that, you know, I I credit a lot to my family, whether that was seeing maybe, I always say I loved being the youngest because I had this opportunity to like kind of see how my siblings went about life or see how my older cousins went about life and what went right and what, you know, didn't go maybe as planned. And I think that that's why natural leadership or community development, I mean, I think You know, STEM was a huge thing. I think just as much as STEM was a huge thing when I was going through the education system, so was about, you know, serving your community, right? We, service is, I think, to me in Southern California, wasn't just taught that that can be done through, you know, the armed services. It was also taught that you can do that through leadership position. so I was involved with student leadership at a young age and I think that's naturally why I wanted to you know understand politics understand you know what is leadership as a career per se? Um, Because I feel like, yes, you know, we all know leadership is a value that you need in any industry, in any career, um, in any situation. Everyone, I think, has some level of leadership and there's all different kinds of leaders. I recognize that. But I never really understood the political system outside of the Southern California bubble in terms of, you know, what does it mean to be Republican or Democrat? I think being raised in, you know, a blue state and a hyper blue area, which actually my whole time growing up was 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 um, represented by a Republican. A Republican, yeah. But I didn't really know, right, the thing. All I knew about was like, you have to vote and there's people, you should split tickets for the right person, right, vote for the right leader, the good person. Um, I didn't understand it, I really didn't. And so as I was approaching senior year of high school when I was starting to think about political science and what my major, and that just felt like a natural, you know, inclination, I really didn't leave Southern California as a Democrat or as a Republican. I, you know, I went, I actually sought a school outside of Southern California for that reason, right? I was like, I want to go experience other ways of life or people from other upbringings and understand their perspectives before I make some sort of decision, right? I definitely think as we are approaching the 2016 election, I graduated in 2016 of high school, you know, we already start seeing, oh, Republican, bad, Democrat, good. That's how I, at least I was Taught in Southern California, so you know. Once I got to Syracuse, once I got, I would say, I realized that there's so much more of what it means to be, you know, a, you know, affiliate with either party and what that looks like. And for me, I think throughout my journey and throughout my experience, I found, you know, a lot of, you know hope or belief in a lot of the Republican policies. But obviously, you know, nowadays I'm talking about 2016, you know, or my young journey of how it kind of led me to Republican politics and we'll dive deeper for sure. But, you know, I know that that means something different now. So I'm happy to, you know, continue dissecting this with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now you mentioned your family and and, um, big family, lots of aunts and uncles and growing up around them, over a hundred people at family gatherings. I was curious, were you around a lot of other kids with a similar background to you, like where you went to school or did you feel pretty set apart?
0: You know, that's, that's, it, I definitely knew other people with large families. I definitely knew other Filipino Americans. I knew, you know, I, I, diversity for me growing up and in re, in respect to cultural and cultural and visual diversity and identity that was never i think a taboo for me and i know we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion now for me it was diversity of perspective way of thought i didn't know anybody that thought differently than me other than you know how should we spend my 12 dollars or what should i do on the weekends you know that i think was where you see the very big differences um in, in cultures, when you're growing up in a, in a place like Southern California, right, how family spends money and how they find joy and, and how they bond as a community is very different. Now, where I felt different and where I set apart was I, was I felt like I was one of the only people... Who wanted to burst out of the Southern California bubble? Mm. Who wanted to try out something else? Right. To me, I was like, "We're given, you know, two to four years, depending on, you know, your circumstance, and you can try something else. Right. You can always come back. You know, your family is likely to be here." Um, and so I felt different in that respect and, you know, having gone to a school of 2,500 people, um, and a mile away was another large school of 3,000 and then two or three miles away was another two large schools of same proportion. And yet I was felt like I was really part of a small group of, you know, if there's what, six to 800 people graduating from each high school. And there was probably only a handful of us between those four high schools, probably like maybe, you know. I, I can name w- only probably ten other people I graduated with or twenty other people tops like that left the state, um, wow. and didn't go into the UC system or a Cal State or a local community college, and so, um, you know, I think I felt like a rarity in that respect, and you know, I question sometimes, you know, why is that? Um, and, you know, I have my own thoughts, but we can jump into it if you want. But that I think is very different of you know that that want to experience other backgrounds or way of thoughts and or not.
1: Yeah, you, you know the other thing that you started to mention a little bit is your your parents. Did you say your? I, I know I read about this, but I don't know if you said it already. But first generation American, I was just curious how that shaped your worldview or your values or your goals. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. I'm happy you know to dive deeper with this. So my dad um, came here when he was 17 from the Philippines my mom came here when she was six from the philippines both different routes you know did not know both from different parts of the philippines um and both um you know for different reasons but that is their story you know and i'm i'm proud i love the immigrant story i'm grateful for it obviously and it's one that you know i want to protect and continue to advance but you know, as a first generation american um you know my parents they having you know they grew up here as well and they they experienced a lot and I know it was a way different country that they experienced through their you know young years than I did but they were very clear and say you know remember you know you aren't fully Filipino you're American right in terms of when we had various dialogues surrounding you know, how you know how to act at home, whether that's respect your elders or no no speaking back, things like that. And but also remember, you know, you're not fully American, right? So not going out on the weekends and staying out too late, right? You should be conscientious of that that, you know, yeah, well maybe some of your you know American friends that grew up here and identify white or whatever while they may be allowed to stay out later or do certain things or go to concerts, that's not necessarily a given, right? That's not something that's a, that's something that needs to be earned. Right. So I think as a first generation American, you, you shape a lot of you shape a lot of your identity around, you know, I'm not fully one, but I'm not fully the other. So who am I? Right. Mm. And you're trying, I think, you know, growing up, I'm grateful. I couldn't imagine growing up now. I think growing up, I had space to figure that out. And I, it's why I, I asked myself to go to college to help figure that out. And nowadays, I still think that, you know, young, our youth, our young people, I know, I am still pretty young, is given that space, but it is, it's, it's saturated. It's saturated with technology, saturated with pop culture, saturated with leaders, right? I couldn't imagine, I was already so confused by the 2016 election as a senior in high school, incoming freshman of college. I couldn't imagine, you know, it's fast forward four years if I was a high schooler or an incoming freshman in the 2020 election. So, but yeah, as a first generation American, I think that that, that questioning of, you know, so what am I and which one is my tribe um, or who, you know, who does define what I can and can't do, or what is acceptable for me and my community and who I'm representing, or am I representing my home right now? Am I representing my parents? Am I representing my siblings? I think that that, that does shape a lot of my decision-making. And that does shape um, how I view you know, the world and my relationship to others and things like that. And I know that was a lot. So if you want to you know, dive deeper, let me know. But
1: No, no. It makes a lot of sense because it sounds like you have um, deep roots in your family and take great pride in your family, have great love for your family. Uh, but you also are discovering who you uniquely are within that uh, tribe, if you will, or, or, or within uh, and among those attachments. And it's, it's really cool to hear how you have been thinking that through and, and, you know, finding your own path. So it's, it's Definitely. really encouraging.
0: You know, I think that, you know, I, I can't think of the movie right now, but there is, there's a movie And I remember it was something along the lines of the parent telling the child, you know, you're going to experience a part of this world that I have never experienced and I'll never understand. You'll go through things that I will not be able to understand because I didn't, you know, I'm not, not that I'm not like you, but that the world is different and you're approaching it differently than I did, unfortunately. So the pressure is different. And I think that that's one thing you learn really fast as a, you know, first generation American as a son of immigrants. And I think I'm grateful that my parents really impressed that upon myself and my siblings um, at a young age, right, that, you know, we're here to back you up. But we want to back you up if you have a vision, if you have a goal, if you know where you're going, right? And that we can't decide where you're going for you and or why you're going there, which is even as a, as a, a child, as a young person, the why is usually way more important than the what. You know, the parents want, what is the what? Get the degree. It doesn't matter where from. Get the job. Make sure you can put food on the table. You know, get married or have a child. It doesn't even matter. But it doesn't matter of the why, right, as much. I, that's usually a personal thing. And also, I think, in depending on which culture you come from, I know sometimes in the Filipino culture, right, the why isn't something always that you can immediately talk about, right, until you're at a certain stage. Um. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful now, now, you know, through the evolution of, you know, my parents' immigrant journey, right, raising children differently than they were raised. And also, you know, in a country that they did, you know, they they are just still learning how to identify with themselves, right? but teaching putting us, I think that barrier, right? Of them saying, you know we are Filipino, we we believe we're American. we you know we know that we are you know citizens here, but you're you truly you are American, you're born here. You know you have to have those experiences or have to have those beliefs and you need to find those for what that means to you. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I think that that origin, is going to follow me for the rest of my life and everything I do right from as a congressional staffer or as you know being involved in politics to you know my you know my dating life my social life that's a I think anyone that is close with me whether it's professionally socially knows that this about me and like just this this constant state of introspection because you know everything does mean something in my opinion.
1: I was going to ask this question a little bit later, but, you know, you're very driven and, and we'll talk a little bit about your, your college experience and internships and stuff. And you were very uh, enterprising, industrious in, in in what awesome experiences you had there and some great accomplishments and leadership experiences. Will we be addressing Congressman Regalado at a certain point or President <laughs> Regalado at a certain not point? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, you know, that's such a politician's way to answer that. No, I'll be giving it some thought. I can't and- <laughs> tell you what
0: the future holds, obviously. But what I can say is that, you know, my, I don't have an end goal and I don't have, a, I think, a lofty dream. I think a lot of people think that, you know, you're supposed to have a lofty dream or some West Wing episode, Hidden an Agenda, and when, when you're running <laughs> game theory your whole life. Not at all. I think that this, you know, this state of introspection that you know, I'm talking about, that and press upon me from my culture, press upon me from my family, you know, roots. I think that that's what guides me in every aspect of my life in terms of like, I have a lot of unanswered questions. So this balance of the what and why, you know, Andrew, what do you want to be, right? You want to be a leader. You want to now study political science to learn about what leadership as a, you know, a career, as a lifestyle is, right? That guided me to say, well, I want to learn about other backgrounds because I recognize that there's so many, there's so many different kinds of leaders brought me to New York. same way as like, Okay, well, like I'm this political science major, I still don't know what political science means after taking like 101. Maybe you should get an internship, because that will will introduce you to what a career in politics is outside of what you see on TV. And then I got, you know, to DC as, you know, an 18 turning 19 year old, and I'm like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was, you know. (laughs) And so I think that that's, that's it. So I still think, you know, as a young person, as a 23-year-old in modern America, as someone who's still figuring it out, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I think that it's a lot of these unanswered questions. And I guess also, like, because I think now that I have this perspective, I've learned some things, that sense of duty to just continue being inquisitive, continue getting a deeper perspective. And I think that that, that will ultimately lead me, you know, wherever it continues to lead me. Let me hear. That's why I'm talking to you. So we'll see where it goes.
1: So I also wanted to dive a little bit into your school experience. It sounds like you were very mindful about going far away. How did that enter into the equation for you? Why did you make that specific geographic decision?
0: Yeah. So I think a little earlier I was talking about how, you know, one of the major things that that varied from culture and identity when I was a young was how one spent money. And I think that as a young person, you commonly see that most in how your family spends summer vacation. You know, every year at the beginning of the school year, you're asked, right? And I say, what did you do this summer? And yeah. most of the time, um, my, my myself and as many of like my Filipino American friends, you know, it was usually like, we just sat on the couch and hung out. But, you know, you hear about all these, you know, all these fun family vacations that people went to. And, you know, you hear about these countries and we were just starting to get the internet. So you can now start Googling and looking at pictures of those. And of course, watching TV, as I sat all summer watching TV, you know, you see other cities. And so I think for me, you know, I was constantly asking myself as, you know, as a young person, how can I see more of this world that everyone talks about? And I also really looked up to my mom. My mom was is a healthcare consultant, self-employed, and actually doesn't have a college degree. So I'm even more proud of her and I'll even look up to her that much more, who has you know built her whole career around traveling. And I used to watch her all my life, seeing she would you know fly in Friday night and leave Sunday mornings. And so I, you know, I still, I feel so close to my mom, but, you know, seeing how she was going to different states and she would tell me about them and all the different cuisines, right? I loved sushi as a kid. And I'm like, oh, like this originates somewhere and like the sushi tastes the same everywhere. You know, so those are the kind of questions, like I said, that kind of guide me. And so I think that that though, at the root of your question, you know, how, why is it that you were so passionate of, you know, getting out of California or being, you know, cognizant of, you know, your geography. And I think it was it was my first time, right? To say, you're 18, you're an adult now, you can do whatever you want. That's what they tell you in high school. You know, you're responsible for your actions now. So no, I want to be responsible for my actions elsewhere, right? I want to know, you know, different parts of the world. And I think as, you know, a young child dancer, you know, you see all these famous people and you think about maybe I'll be, you know, oh, I will get my big break and end up on Disney Channel, right? But you see those, you know, those people, they're, they're traveling. And they, you know, they have their this enterprise or they're going. And I think for me, it's like, how could I even relate? How can I just create some level of that for myself? You know, and I think that education was, you know, the first answer to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how, how did you begin to zero in on your course of study? You know, it, it became clear, you know, obviously you graduated uh, summa cum laude or magna cum laude? Magna, gra-
0: magna. not summa. <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> It's all it's all something, come loudy, which which is really really good. That's all I know. But uh, you know, I, how, at what point did you start to zero in and where you really wanted to focus?
0: You know, I think I'm still zeroing in on that. I, <laughs> uh, I you know, I still feel like a generalist. I know some people may not argue that, but I think that you know, in a, in a world of career and politics and policy, it's, it's evolving, right? I would have never been able to project that this is what, you know, the landscape would have been. And that's what would have been my, you know, my introductory role to all of this and the start of my career. And so, you know, I think that, I'm drawing in on, you know, similar to you know, what we'll get into our country first, but I'm, I'm drawn into, I gotta guess at this point, how people view the system or view this, you know, not just, you know, the, the American domestic ecosystem, but, you know, the global ecosystem, right? Are we here to, you know, to leave it better than we found it, right? Are, are we here to try getting the, as much as we can from it, right? I was actually last night asking, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who, you know, sometimes they say, Andrew, like, why don't you believe you are a good person? And I do, like, I do believe I'm good in nature and I'm inherently good, but I also know that we as humans, and I think this is where where my faith gets involved, we as humans, right, we're susceptible to sin, right, we're susceptible to, you know, to, you know, being, you know, not tricked, tricked, for lack of better words, tricked, right? Or, you know, so I think constantly in in a career like politics and policy, what I'm trying to get at is you have to ask yourself, like, am I supporting the right thing, right? Am I helping the right mission? And I think that, and it's not just always about, you know, not just about who who you're working for, right? I love who I work for. I love what I do, but I'm saying also about your mission, right? Why are you here? Like you can be, these positions are very hard to get and you you give up a lot and you you will get into it. But, you know, why are you here, right? I, as a young, you know, 23 year old, you know, with these family roots, who's enjoying all this exploration, I also recognize that I, I'm not at home in California as much as I want to be, right? And my family's still here. There's only, you know, we we can't take that time for granted. And so I think a lot about, you know, not that I don't think I'm an inherently good person, right? But I ask, is what I'm doing good? Am I doing good, right? Or am I just doing well? And that concept of doing good and doing well, I think that we don't talk enough about, right? Because it's easy to look at everyone and be like, oh, this person's doing amazing in their life. This person's doing amazing in their life. But as a young person, I think nowadays, right, people are constantly, you know, assessing purpose and passion, which are two different things and sometimes gets convoluted. Um, And so, you know, I think sometimes people believe that they are inherently great and that's an infinite and so they can't do wrong. And that's very interesting because I think that while I believe I have a good heart and that I discern, you know, that that doesn't mean I don't believe that I can't mess up and do bad, right? I don't believe I will ever go into something like let's intentionally do bad, right? But I recognize that in a a culture like this, in a toxic political system like this, in a hyper-polarized, you know, time, that's people view some of my actions, maybe even a conversation like we're having like this as bad. And believe that it, it, it personally offends them and so it's not that i believe i'm a bad person because i'm having this conversation but i acknowledge that right i have to put myself in other people's shoes right if i'm going to find a way to relate with them maybe bring them into this conversation and this dialogue right to even learn why they feel that way um and so you know it's it's a building block but inherent inherently you know what are we working towards to what is our mission and just because you you know, you jump on on something that evolves with it. And I think that that's something that, you know, young professionals in, you know, the the social political ecosystem know that, you know, that that's something that, you know, changes. Where it may be easier, I don't know, you know, I don't, I I always ask my private sector friends, but, you know, maybe, you know, it's when you're working for, you know, an Apple or a Google, right? That brand, you know, that marketing, that product, the service, it's very concrete. Right. And as that, you know, as you innovate and as you have a new you know, thing that you are going to show to the world, it's beautiful. Right. And you, you're going to get all behind the new iPhone, you know, 13, 14, 15, and you're going to get behind the new Siri um, or the new way, you know, the hologram in the future. Fingers crossed. That would be so cool. You know, in a, in, in this kind of space, in a, in a, in a political or, in, you know, public service space, it's, you know, what is your what is your product? What is your service? And that service. Right. That like actual service and you know you no know, same thing with me right What is i work for congressman adam kinzinger and i you know what is my product it, it, it's a man's life it's a man's beliefs and a lot of times on these issues that we're talking about nowadays you know that's not something that you can just you know snap of that finger let's have an opinion on it you know even though people think it's that easy and we just you know trigger 140, 140 characters out but it's you know it's 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 people's lives. It's people's opinions. And that I, I, a lot of time, especially as a younger person, especially someone that's not, you know, on the super senior level yet. I, I even have that. So, you know, what are my thoughts on this? Right. I, too, am a growing young person that is still venturing that, you know, I want to think I know something, but I know and I'm the first person walking in the room to say I don't know something. So I'll stop there. But, you know, I touched on a lot of different things, but it's, it's, it's a very interesting right, way of thought.
1: So I want to follow up on that a bit. One of the remarkable things of looking at your experiences so far is that you've been able to work in the U.S. Senate at the State Department, at the state and local level. You have all of these varied and I would say fairly high level or exposure to high level experiences. Uh, did all of that experience help give you a clearer sense of a specific political lane that you wanted to be in or specific leaders that you wanted to work with?
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> Another way, well, starts like, I'm always still answering this question, but, you know, I think that one thing that you learn early on as early on as a young professional, and I think it's a little different now, and we'll, we'll unpack that, but when I was going through, you know, the internships and going up in the system, I always say the system, but growing up in the circuit of DC and politics <laughs> and New York or whatever, but, you know, growing up in the circuit, I think that you, you know, you're taught, you know, have a, have an ideological spectrum, right? of, you know, where you want to work, whether that's first no, you know, Republican or Democrat, that, that's, that saves a lot of time for you. And then know your ideological spectrum, right? And I think that's where kind of, you know, the different caucuses may help you nowadays. But end of the day, you don't be too picky, right? Don't, don't, you know, you can't shop around and only say you're going to work for these one to five people or this one committee, right? Like, right. Every single young person nowadays loves foreign affairs and you'll internet, you'll interview everyone and they'll say, oh, I love foreign affairs. And it's just like, why? And it's just because I love the world and I want to, you know, visit it all. Um, Same way, you know, when you think of your origin story, the best way to put it into perspective, right? Someone who you can say, I really like to work on veterans policy. But then that person that says, oh, I grew up in a veteran family, which is why I want to continue advancing things for on behalf of veteran families or for veterans, that is a stronger answer in an interview, right? So I say apply that back to this concept of who do you work for? Where on the spectrum do you work with? Take that out in this moment, just as an industry, right? It's not like a fortune 500 coming here's our incoming freshman class of you know 50 to 100 analysts consultants etc 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 in politics it's you know you it's either inter it's internship intern to assistant staff assistant and if you want to work for someone you're putting a lot of eggs and hoping that the day that you graduate college and the day that you're looking for a job and knocking on the door that they're going to have a job open for you. And the likelihood of that is so, so, so low. And there's all these other variables, right? State ties, past experiences, you know, any sort of connections or whatever, you know, it, it's, it's, it, I I always say it's kind of like a big crapshoot. And I think anyone who's honest about how you approach, you know, politics is it, it is, you know, and you have to be frank about that. And so, you know, I didn't, Graduate college and was just like, oh, he was like the five people or the 10 people that I wanted to work for. Um, You know, but with that, I have been following, you know, my current boss, Congressman Kinsey. I've been following him actually since I was 18 years old, have looked up to to him and I was, you know, networking and I heard, oh, here is this role that is open and I applied for it and I got very lucky that I got selected for it. Um, I'm very grateful for that. But You know, going even into that application process, you know, I I knew it's like I had to prepare for the idea that this might not be my, for me, right? And so maybe I would have worked, started my career working for someone a little more conservative who had other different views. So firstly, I'll start with saying, you know, I'm, the stars aligned and I'm working in the ideological space that I want to work in. That's awesome. But I, I know a lot of people. A lot of my, you know, peers who can't say the same thing, and they won't. They may not say it in a forum like this, but, you know, who feel that way. And that's the reality of it. And I think you have to hope that, you know, when, it, when the time comes that you are in a position of influence or power, in terms of, you know, you start as an intern or an assistant, those are administrative positions, you probably won't be influencing policy or a communication strategy, at least until one, two, three or four years into your, you know, into, you know, your, your role or into your career, depending on, you know, how that, how the career turns out for you and how long you choose to stay and how you, you know, how you choose your opportunities and manage that. And so that's very interesting to think about. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, trans I just transitioned into this legislative aid role. This is my first time after a year and a half that I am now, you know, meeting with Oh, i've been meet, i've met with external stakeholders more, but regularly meeting with external stakeholders and you know hearing these um hearing these you know these concerns and thinking about them in terms of policy and in legislation um and so it's nothing wrong you know, i'm not knocking you know the way the system's built i do believe you know you learn so much and that's why you know you start as an assistant like I learned things that I would have ever known right and it kind of helps you understand the ecosystem and how to approach it and navigate it differently like right? But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the legislative process and the political process are completely two different things, right? And so what I mean by that is the legislative process here on Capitol here, here on Congress is a different thing than the political process, right? What's running back home, knocking doors and, you know, what you do, right? And what I mean by that also is though what happens on Capitol Hill, like, while it's inherently political, I don't necessarily believe it is politics 24-7, right? I believe politics 24-7 is people that are out on the trails or out in the news networks and, you know, ma- talking to journalists and things like that. Um, and so with that, as a young professional, when deciding, you know, where am I going to work in the system, right? If you want to just learn how to serve and in government and, right, and how to enact change and change that may last and help your community or your respective communities, That is way different than politics and inside who to work for. And I think that's one thing I think of people that aren't in D.C. or who haven't, you know, interned or worked or know someone who doesn't doesn't realize that that it is a very out of body interest. You know that this in all this introspection I'm talking about, it's very out of body experience because the work. That you do doesn't always relate, which is again the legislative process I speak of, doesn't always relate to one's politics. And so, you know, you have, there's there's different kinds of things that I'll say that, you know, as a young person, I've always said, I I like to know my role and I like to know where it's delineated, right? Is my job here to influence policy? Is it not, right? Is my job to add my perspective or not? And knowing those situations, right? Sometimes you're not, you're being asked to go into a room to take notes, right? Let's just say that's an example. I, I'm not all commonly asked to do this, but, you know, so you may, let's say you're asked to, in a room to, be, to take notes. That's not being asked to interject into the conversation. Um, I think, though, and, and, and the vice versa, though, though, should there be something that's, you know, a red flag, you know, that's going across someone's, you know, of influence or of power's eyes or ears, could I interject, right? And you need to know that. And so you know, working in a space where I feel, I know that I, I'm comfortable sharing with my colleagues. I knew my colleagues valued my opinion, even when my opinion wasn't necessarily, you know, invited that I knew that uh, it was welcomed early on in my career. And I'm grateful for that. And so that's a type of place that I knew I wanted to work in. that. I'm not always trying to, you know, sound the alarm or get into the weeds of things, but is there an opportunity for the things that I hope was semi my heart for me to speak on? I think working in a place where, you know, I'm allowed to disagree. And I think that that's one thing. It's, Everyone, no matter how polarized you know, you, you how people view your boss or whatever, most people you know are allowed to openly disagree with you know their bosses or whatever, and you know, and that's grateful. But knowing that that's not something that you have to feel bad about, but I think that that's why you know everything that I got at all these variables I know they're very open ended, and please ask me to clarify anything that I can. But I'll say, as a young person growing up in this system, something that I saw. That was, you know, that's concerning is how can I be a better Republican or a better Democrat? And what I mean by that is as a young person, because you know how many people want your role, because you know how competitive it is, and because you know how hard it is to get promoted, it's as if that you are willing to take stances that you know aren't really your stances. So that so that you can be that 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 person everyone looks to for, you know, X policy or how to be the most Republican or Democratic. And so it's, it's, that's, I think, why young people get polarized or why people end up taking on their issues itself. It's that, you know, like I said early on it. By the time that you're influencing policy, you've already been around for a few years. And by the time you're doing what you really want to do and what you came here to do, it's been a couple of years. And so during that couple of years, you've transitioned into you know something that you did whatever you transitioned to whatever had to help you get there, I guess. And I respect everyone, you know, it's your it's those careers, right? But it's interesting seeing people t- seeing that, right? Seeing people become more. I don't like using polarized because I don't think people mean to, but more polarized in a way because, you know, they think that that's what's going to get them more attention or more respect or, you know, better paid or et cetera. That's that's interesting. It's interesting seeing that.
1: What was it about Congressman Kinsinger as, you know, a leader, a politician or just as a person that you specifically wanted to go work with him?
0: Yeah, I mean, looking firstly young leadership i think you know there are a lot of old people in dc um that you see at, on dc there's a lot of old people that you see on tv on dc but everyone that are that's not on tv is like my age um you know this is a city of 20 year olds and i think that that's one thing you know for the listeners like your government's ran by a lot of young people and you know that's really that's really you know it's it, i think that's for me it was uplifting when I came here and empowering, knowing that, wow, I can make such a difference at such a young age. But with that, with respect to that, I was like, who are the young people, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 years ahead of me um, that are making a difference? And that's why, you know, at 18 years old, you know, I started following Congressman Kittsinger, right? He started when he was 30 years old. He, you know, he he's a maverick in his own right. And he's not willing, he's willing to speak up for what he believes in. And I think throughout my college journey, you know, seeing what how like I said, politics changed from 2016 to 2020. We don't have to unpack it, but just seeing I think his evolution, especially as someone that you know is, in my opinion, a traditional conservative, as someone that is you know a that identifies as a traditional conservative, but you know comes from Southern California from a Filipino American family. Right when you think traditional conservative, those aren't the you know attributes that you immediately think of, but to me, a traditional conservative has all that, but also is willing to speak their mind, right, and speak when they, but not, but take traditional conservatism out of it, leadership, right, back to leadership, back to, you know, being a better American, leaving the better place than you found it. I've always viewed the congressman as someone that believes that, you know, recognizes that these moments in history and in time are more than just us. Like, these are, crack records. These are benchmarks to teach those future generations what to do when you come to a point like this, right? This is, you know, this is a point for us to say, hey, like let's not storm the Capitol ever again. Uh, that's wrong. Right. Like and like we all knew that, right? Gold, all the golden rules say so. You know, and so I think I saw that in him. And I just uh, threw through it all, right? He's he's taken specific votes and he has a clear record where at times where he's agreed and where he hasn't agree, didn't agree, and someone who's willing to explain their vote, I will always respect that. That whether I agree with it or not, if you can approach the people and you can talk about it and say constructively, and that's that, then great. You know, I love that, and I think that that's that's leadership. And so, you know, that was a big answer, but I, you know, I really do look up to him. I believe he's bettering things for communities like mine those that I grew, grew up in, and above all. You know, it's the kind of leader that I want, you know, for years to come, because I, again, I, I've been harping on being a young, you know, general Zer here, but as a young person, you know, I think a lot about, you know, yes, I'm grateful for the, my early career and where it's stopped, but, you know, I think a little bit about, you know, five years from now, what it's going to be like, and will I still be here? I, that's, you know, a question who knows, but will I want to be here? And that, you know, it's, it's a, there's definitely a gray cloud looking ahead.
1: You you mentioned the attack on the Capitol. Were you in the Capitol that day on January 6th?
0: No, gladly. Um, and our staff stayed home. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, the congressman knew, you know, at the time also the congressman had been very vocal leading up to the, you know, November election was equally as vocal after the November election. So, you know, we just knew it wasn't going to be a good environment for our team. And so I'm very grateful the congressman asked us to stay home, but I don't live too far from the Capitol, a few blocks away. I could hear it all. The two weeks after, you know, had National Guard or, or or police of some sort on our street corners, depending on the day or depending on the time. Very interesting, right? And I had fallen in love with this city, you know, at a young age. the knowing that I would start my career here, and having in one see, I never thought a capital for that but that could ever happen. But two, just seeing like the amount of security, all the barricades that were up, you know, thinking that would happen. I didn't leave my apartment for a while, but no. Your question was, was I there in the sixth? I was not. I won't go too, you know, spiral too much, but yeah.
1: I have a related question to that though. You know, Congressman Kensinger has been one of a very small handful of elected officials along with uh, representatives like Liz Cheney, just a few others, maybe John Katko or uh, Peter Meyer of Michigan that are conservatives through and through. And yet because of their outspoken objection to what happened on January 6th, their objection to the big lie about, you know, a stolen election, which has been um, broadly proven absolutely false and baseless, but because of their willingness to stand on truth and principle, despite the fact of their, you know, unimpeachable conservative records, so to speak, unimpeachable, they are outcasts from their their own party i'm curious do you feel, as a staffer do you feel that um do you when you engage with others from other offices it does that tension come down to you as well
0: i don't feel that at all um and i think that that's one thing also you know that's not brought to light if you're not if you're not in dc i people get along in DC <laughs> Democrats and Republicans alike unless you know there, there's only so many people who will hear your boss's name you'll be like oh maybe I'm not friends with you right off the bat but um, no it's it's very unlikely like that I will walk into you know any social environment or even a professional environment and people will hear my boss's name and I will be you know looked at different right has it happened and does it happen yes but is it a, a common thing no. And that's something that's really different on the staff level than on the political and public level, right? That, that's where I, I get back to what I was just saying about the legislative process and the political process being two separate things. That's why, you know, on the staff level, it's much more, nav- you, know, you can navigate it much better. You know, with that said, what's unfortunate, and it's as if, you know, people, you know, a lot of staff members my age older, um, you know, having also been here a lot of people helped me get here and mentored me and all these things. You know, they'll say, you know, we respect your boss. We love what your boss is doing. But, you know, we're glad he's not our boss, right? Or we're glad we just don't have to put up, right? Because that's not our work. And that's not something we have to be through. And yeah, so on the staff level, a lot of people who like what my boss is doing, um, unfortunately, due to the climate, unfortunately, maybe due to their boss's opinions, um, they're not really able to publicly speak that. And, you know, that's, that's their decision. That's their choice. And that's, you know, this. I can't help, other, I can't tell people how to navigate, right. We all have a lot that's on our our back and that's not you know we all have to navigate our own you know careers and our own upbringings our own beliefs and you know that's back to like what your previous question of like how do you decide where you work like i want to be proud to go back to my mom and dad or my community and say who i'm proud of working for and i like what they're saying doing and you know throwing out into the ether um i'd say you know i know a lot of people who would be like oh well you know it did we did what we had to do and hey that's the whole point i think that's where my skeptic optimism comes from though it's like there shouldn't be a right, always a right way to do this. Right. And we should be allowed to disagree We should be allowed to you know, run our own game theories. Right. But I do, you know, and that's something that we talk a lot about a lot, like, you know, take respect and stuff out of it. But, you know, we do need to know when enough is enough and when to take the temperature down and when this is starting to not become serious. And I think, you know, Congressman Kinzinger has talked a lot about that. I'm um, saying, you know, this is about, you know, future generations, that this is about setting a really stark precedent, right, that, you know, that we that at this point, there is not even a barometer that I just keeps you know, the temperature and the fire just keeps getting stoked high, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's scary. It is scary. I may be, you know, alone in seeing that or being afraid of that. And that that's all right. And I'm, I'm fine being that guy.
1: To your point, I've heard Congressman Kinzinger talk about how others in Congress have come to him, you know, sort of quietly and off the record, say, "Hey, I'm really glad for what you're doing," and and I could see how folks from different perspectives and regions, even Democrats and Republicans, you know, the Gottheimers uh, of the world, get along with folks like uh, Representative Kinzinger or or Nancy Mace with Congresswoman Spamberger. Like I could see, but I I can't envision that Congressman uh, Adam Kinzinger is going off to play marbles with Marjorie Taylor Greene anytime soon. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you want to expand on that, but...
0: No, no expansion. I I concur. I concur. I have something I'm fine concurring
1: with. (laughs) <laughs> well, a more a more important point, you're talking about wanting to believe in the people that you're working with and the principles that they're standing on. You believe in it to the degree that you're also working on this whole other endeavor that Congressman Kingzinger is involved with called Country First. So first, can you start by telling us what Country First is and what your role is within the organization?
0: Yes, so country first, it's, you know, the Congressman's political initiative right now. It's a public action committee, you know, and our focus is like my you know jacket says, um, cu- putting country over party, you know, recognizing that, you know, it's not about being a better Republican, being a better Democrat. It's about, you know, or being a better independent. It's about being, you know, a better American. So it's, a, you know, it's a home for people, re- reasonable, goodwill. You know, it's exciting, and our mission is to defeat toxic tribalism, and I love that, right, you know, it's not about what tribe I'm from, it's about me being American, yeah, and I think that that more people should (laughs) believe in that, and so my role in this is grassroots director, Um, you know, we entered 2021, and then, you know, three days into my 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 new role as legislative correspondent and, you know, we were all looking around like, what's going to happen? And three days into it, after January 3rd, the 117th Congress started, then January 6th happened, and then you're just like, whoa. And then, you know, a few weeks went by and we were like, you know, I think a lot of us were like, we have to do something. And Congressman Kinzinger um, was like, you know, I'm going to do this, do this thing country first. Right. And it, you know, it started as a website, to be honest, like in and, and that initial video that, but, it, you know, I, I early on was like, I'm excited to be part of this. Right. I think that the young generation needs to see a younger generation needs to see at the table, needs to start speaking up. Right. I think a lot about how. I've always and back to how I was saying, you know, people become more conservative or more liberal because they're trying to be the right professional or political operative. I think for me, it's like I was always being so focused on like, what do other people think, right? What do does the electorate think, right? What does my boss think? Um, And all this stuff that it gets to a point where you're like, I it gets so trying to say, what do you think? But I think it was one of those moments, January, 2021, where I was saying, you know, it's time that I bring some, like, I don't just bring myself and my talent to the table, but I actually bring an idea to the table. And I, I bring some sort of direction per se. And I know a lot of people do that in their own way, shape, or form, or believe they're doing that in their own way, shape, or form, but something that, that would bring other people together that would, not be just spreading hate. Like I'm just like so tired of the hate. And so, you know, that's I think uh, what Country First is about. We are just trying toxic tribalism, right? Not just tribalism, like toxic tribalism. Like everything like from the MTGs to Red El-Harm Omar. Like it's equally as troubling at this point because we're running on fear-based politics and we're running on people's insecurities and frustrations with the system. It's like, we are all equally frustrated that, you know, uh, that the work isn't getting done, but um, that doesn't mean that we we continue to find fire with fire like I was getting at. So I know that, you know, that wasn't the most concise, you know, this is what country versus A, B and C, but it's a home. It's, it's that we've journeyed with the last year. Um, it's grown dramatically and it's just continued to grow. And I'm the grassroots director. So I help oversee all of our grassroots efforts, whether that's, you know, it's changed dramatically over the last year, but we are launching state chapters throughout the country. We are working with, you know, partner organizations like Bridge USA um, on college campuses. We are now, you know, starting various advisory councils within on different you know, parts of our country. The, the congressman does his podcast, um, things like that. So it's, it's just a different, we're trying to bring a different light. You know, I think a lot of people right now are looking at our political system and thinking it's one or the other, right? It's Trump or the Biden. It's the pro-choice or the pro-life. It's, you know, Green New Deal or whatever the opposite of the Green New Deal is. And I think people forget that there's just so many other ways of thought and there's so many other opinions out there and that there's, you know, there's 535 leaders in Congress technically. And. There's, they don't all think the same thing just because they have an R or a D after that you know after their name. And so we're trying to remind people that and you know bring different light, different content.
1: I do want to talk a little bit more specifically about the mission. And by the way, I do commend the website to anyone who's interested in crazy ideas like common finding common ground, you know. But the website is countryfirst.com and first is one s t uh, like the number first. So countryfirst.com, check it out. Um, So the mission is very appealing to me and my educated guess from talking to a lot of people about this stuff all day, every day, is that it would be quite encouraging and welcome for many, many others. So I just wanted to break it down for a second. There's one section of the mission called Proven Solutions, and that seemed like uh, more, more policy positions. So can you share the top line of those priorities? Yeah, so Country First so our overarching mission is to
0: defeat toxic tribalism. And we have these three pillars because when you say defeating toxic tribalism, right? There's so many different different thoughts surrounding that. And so when we talk about the the pillar of proven solutions, first I'll start with saying Country First isn't here to prescribe policy. I think nowadays people are like, I want to subscribe to this movement, but if I subscribe to this movement, do I have to believe in XYZ? And to be in Country First, you don't need to believe in in a specific policy position. We're not here to prescribe and we're not here to tell you how to think about it. However, we have these proven solutions, specifically opportunity, specifically climate change, mental health, um, and the culture of service. These four areas are what we mean by proven solutions that we believe this is where people can find common ground. No matter that what you believe in, what your upbringing is, these are four common areas within, you know, the current American public discourse that we can, you know, we can dive deeper into and we can find solutions. So in a way, we want to be that home where you can have that dialogue, that you can return, you know, to civility and for it not to, you know, get out of hand and that you can find, you know, what real opportunity means but in my opinion and i guess this is maybe not speaking exactly on behalf of the movement but like opportunity right that means something different for everyone and i country first it may you may get to the point in one of our you know discussions and one of our events where you realize like wow like this means something so different to you know a Democrat or Republican or, you know, a West Coaster versus an East Coaster, um, that you just have respect and you leave it at that and you simmer on that. And that's important. I think that that's part where, how I grew up, that's how I always understood, you know, policy discussions. So, you know, the proven solutions, these four areas, I think that nowadays, anyone can say, right, we all want a better opportunity for our families, whether you're rich, poor, you know, no matter what, you know, culture you identify with, you want better opportunity for yourself, and for your family,
1: that's interesting. I was going to ask what concrete steps can be made on these issues, but it sounds like having the conversations on these issues, like opportunity, climate, and conservation, mental health, and and a culture of service, that the, the having the conversation is the point, point. Um, yes. and then and then solutions can arise from those converse, having those conversations among exactly. a diverse group of people. Exactly. I was actually curious that I, I haven't heard mental health as part of, you don't hear a lot of politicians talking about that. So it was interesting to see that as one of the, uh, on the list of priorities to discuss.
0: Yeah, I know. They should discuss it more in my opinion, but I definitely think, you know, on when you're thinking of like as grassroots or when we're in, you know, when we're really down and having the conversation, I think a lot of people are ready to talk about mental health and they just don't know how. And I think that that's part of the reason why we're saying, let's talk about it. Yeah. And let's you know let's set those let's set that framework together.
1: So then repairing and restoring democracy is its own section of the mission. Can you diagnose what you see as the underlying problems with our democracy and then what what are some of the ways country first would restore it as to to use the um terminology there?
0: Yeah, so you know restoring democracy obviously where I with this pillar, this is where I say, you know, things like January 6th, right? And how, you know, how that got us there, that we, that people truly thought that, like, like, half of the country almost thought that their vote was potentially illegitimate, or that some subgroup thought that their vote was illegitimate, that it was justified and right for them to storm the building. That is wild. Like, and so I guess, firstly restoring democracy is that a lot of this is restoring faith in the system right having trust in our institutions country first 100 isn't trying to like you know dismantle the system you hear that nowadays and it's people love that they're like yeah but no like we're like no let's better the system Woo. like let's restore it um <laughs> and so that's where you know what we're getting at here and so when we're talking about you know first of all like gerrymandering you know, management is horrible. And that's one of the pillars that we have under there. And it's, it's a political process. And there's not much, you know, you can do about it currently unless, you know, and that's something that has to be started from the ground up. When we think of our current primary system, primaries, the reason why toxic partisans continue to win is because the ones that make the loudest noise and how to be a better Republican, how to be a Democrat, even how we're seeing in the staff level, in the public, right? It's what gets those, you know, only like 20 percent of the people, right, of the actual Republicans, of the 100 percent Republicans that will vote in the general election, only 20 percent of them will show up for the primary. And that's an issue. And the 20 percent of the ones that care the most and are the ones that maybe are pushing people to be that toxic personality and is what's continuing to sell that. So I think we, you know, we're, we're talking about let's talk about primary reform. How can we prevent that? How can we get more people, you know, to to vote and into and to, you know into participate. You know, a lot of I talk to a lot of Republicans. They're like I'm changing my you know my my party affiliation and I you know and I'm going to become an independent or I'm just going you know I'm going to do this. And you know I say you know respect like that's not an individual's choice and an individual journey. So you know there's it's not that. But I'm also saying you know a lot of times it's, you know like we need you right? Like, and that's not me trying to speak on behalf of the Republican party. That's not me trying to speak on behalf of, you know, the leaders that I don't condone. It's me saying, we need you because you need to vote in the primary. A lot of the primary systems are closed off if you aren't affiliated with the party. So now you're just let you're giving it to the 20 or 10% of the people that are, you know, that are causing us these problems. And we're never going to fix that if we don't talk about it. And if we don't find a way, right, to you know, organize. And so that's kind of, I believe what we're getting at, right? Making sure obviously, and then of course, general voting rights, that's another pillar, um, you know, talking about accessibility and talking about, you know, education surrounding voting.
1: Yeah. So voting rights and election integrity, primary election reform and gerrymandering, it can be discouraging because we've seen uh, different bills on voting rights for the People Act with John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act run into serious problems in Congress. But it sounds like you're to use your phrase uh, it, it's more of a bottom-up solution and again to have these conversations among different people of different perspectives but people of goodwill and who come together in good faith is really the point and then and then the third part of the mission that i'd love for you to address as i was reading through it it sounded uh, it's called mending divisions and and it's more about where we are as a culture so can you discuss the different aspects of mending divisions of that section yeah
0: you know, I think mending divisions is what I've been getting at this entire time, right? Like like you said, culturally, um, you know, Country First isn't a political mo- movement. It's a civic and social movement. This is a cultural step that we all need to take, that we believe, right, that it's time to come back together. In terms of, you know, think about back my friends' parents and so many different people's parents, um, even my parents, right? It didn't matter if you didn't believe in, you know... If you were a Democrat or Republican, right? Many people are like, "Oh, I grew up in a split household." You hear older generations saying that all the time. Nowadays, as even as a young person, right? If you don't date outside of your party, and you don't go to, you know, you don't, your kids don't hang out with someone out of, you know, oh, I don't agree with their parents and all the stuff they, you know, they have around their household or what they're saying to you. You can't, right? So it's a, this this cancel culture to you know to both sides of saying like they're the bad people. And we're the good people. That needs to stop. And that's what we mean by mending divisions. As it's time to come back together being like being a Democrat or Republican is just believing in ways or approaches to how to fix our country's problems. But that we are all we all do intend go lead with good intent, and we do lead with you know with want to better, right? With altruism. And so when we talk about country over party, that's the first thing, that's the first pillar. Willing to do what you believe is best for your country over what your party is telling you, right? Right. Why is it that everything in Congress or everything nowadays is it's like, oh, what are the other Republicans? So you're not a true Republican if you, you know if you vote for this infrastructure package. But in this infrastructure package, 17 billion is coming to, you know, the home, your home state that you represent. And it's actually helping direct things in your district. Right. But. And that's an issue because it's not, you know, that's not good enough. Right. So that's an example of country over partyism. How can we go back, get back to a place where we understand that one's vote or one's action at times isn't all about representing their party; it's about representing their country and making it better for everyone. Standing for truth in a world of misinformation. You know, when I first is introduced to misinformation and the topic of misinformation, it's just thoughts of, oh, like false websites out there that are scams. And I think people still think of it like that. But misinformation is equally as saying, like, you know, I could say, oh, Corey, your hair's blue. And then like, oh, yeah, I just had this super cool podcast interview with this guy named Corey. His is blue. And my best friend probably would believe me. Like, that's misinformation. And that is happening every single day on the news, no matter all the stations, all the Twitter feeds, all the sides. And we just need to get back to it's like, hey, like if someone tells you, hey, Corey's hair is blue, like search him up on LinkedIn, search him up, you know, find his birth certificate, figure out where he is, look for his Facebook profile. That was what we mean by standing for truth. It's time to you know, trust but verify at this point. And lastly, building common ground. Again, we're not the the, the actionable item, the takeaway from country first is that opportunity of knowing that this is a home. It's always going to be a home that you can return to. And that you're going to walk away with an opportunity to actually see, you know, those that are not like you. you know and, Always shapes and forms, you know, we were talking about diversity earlier, and that's what we mean with building common ground, that this is an opportunity for us, you know, to grow together, to make a better country together, to have more understanding. And so that, you know, this pillar, mend division, sorry to get so passionate about, but it's one of my favorites. And I think in the grassroots space is what I get to, you know, interact with most day to day.
1: That's awesome. Country over party, stand for truth and build common ground, mending divisions. I love it. So I do have one last question for you. Do you have any questions for me?
0: Yeah, I know. I'd love to hear, you know, I guess we've talked a lot, right, about, you know, what is it like in D.C., or you know, also what, you know, what's what you're doing on the national level and what's happening in the national you know, sphere. I guess I you know I always say one of the biggest issues for us as political staff, operatives, et cetera. Is that we don't have enough of these kind of conversations with people that aren't currently based in DC or working in politics and aren't aren't our family members. So, you know, I guess, what are your thoughts about you know, country, country first, and some of these these ideas, or what's happening right now? I just, I'd love to hear from someone that is not in Washington D.C. or doesn't work in you know politics, you know, directly.
1: Yeah, I I might not be the best guy to ask about this because I do feel that I'm. Much more engaged than the average citizen. So, why do you think that you know you're more engaged? Because I'm passionate about this stuff, and it's not that I'm passionate about any one particular issue or or bill that's being presented. You know, and listen, infrastructure is super super important. Obviously, tax policy is really important. How many regulations uh, that small business owners like me have to jump through and become part of our P and L that we got to figure out? This is all really really important, but. If we don't have democracy, all of this doesn't mean anything. The the rest of it doesn't matter. If we don't know how to talk to each other, the rest of it doesn't matter. That's why an organization like Country First is so encouraging to me.
0: So do you think that we need to raise more passion in people for them to care more? Like, so we need to make people in a way a little more patriotic or, you know, is that through education? Because that's what I asked myself as like a grassroots director. It's like, how do you get people to want to build common ground or to mend divisions or, you know? Repair democracy.
1: Well, I've come to the conclusion that we cannot we cannot change someone's opinion typically by one hundred and eighty degrees in one conversation. but we can we can change it by one degree and especially if we're willing to bring one degree of nuance to our own views. you know i I had this exchange with someone yesterday. A lot of folks were jumping on me because I have someone close to me that I really love who hasn't gotten the vaccine. And I explained that, listen, at a certain point, this person was gonna get, get it. and but, but so many people like shamed him and harassed him and jumped on him and made him feel like a terrible person for not having already gotten it. At a certain point, he was just like, to hell with all of you, now I'm never gonna get it. Now that might seem like an immature reaction, And of those of us who've gotten the vaccine and did a lot of research about it, feel really strongly and feel like it's our community duty to get the vaccine. But I was just trying to explain that I came to understand where this person was coming from. And all I want to do is stay in the conversation with him. I just want to stay in the conversation with him. So one person told me I haven't had a lot of success. I've gotten into 100 of these conversations and I was only able to get somewhere with one person. And she said, and that's because we had, we both had buy in I was willing to really thoroughly go through each piece of information she sent me. And, and, but she was willing to go through each piece of information I sent her. And she ultimately, because she stayed in the conversation without all the judgment and the, you know, the name calling and the finger wagging because of that, ultimately over a long, I don't know how many months it was, maybe three or four months, she was able to persuade this person. So I think- I think we, I think if we're looking for that big, you know, revelation all in one moment, I think we're going to be sorely disappointed because the work is in the moment to moment to moment, day to day to day, and and that's, you know, we just have to be committed to like one brick at a time, kind of a thing.
0: One hundred percent, and that's exactly what we're doing in country first. But you know, it's affirming hearing you. I you know people hearing from you who talks to so many different people, um, and you know, I think it's awesome, right? And I think it's inspiring because, you know, I always say, like, what can we do more? Like, we're dividing like, our, all of our, like, lives and efforts to it. And it's, I think we're all on the same page, right? And we're starting to all wake up, right? And saying, this isn't going to be solved overnight. And, you know, we have, I talk a lot about how, you know, we're supposed to be the smartest as a generation, all, all levels, right? just the smartest time right, for humans—we right? have the most access to information, technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's as if, like, we don't know what to do with that information, and we don't know how, you know, to listen anymore. Because we have a snap of the finger, we don't have to wait for the Sunday paper. But it's, you know, this reoccurring, you know, these reoccurring interactions with mutual respect, right? Mutual camaraderie just and keeping the temperature down it's what i you know we a country first believe is the answer and you know i'm happy that you know you think the same as well
1: yeah that's a really great point having information does not mean you have wisdom or to use a word that you used before does not mean you have discernment and i think those community attachments and those family attachments if you're fortunate enough to have them allow you to develop those virtues of wisdom and discernment but Uh, Actually, I did. I kind of lied. I do have a last question. How can we find more info about you, about Congressman Kinzinger and Country First?
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a lot. So feel free to Google away. Um, you know, if you want to connect with me, I love connecting with people. Feel free to email me, andrew at country1st.com or, you know, if this is for any other reasons professionally you want to talk about, you know, LinkedIn. Um, Corey, we, we connected on LinkedIn. We connected
1: LinkedIn, so on LinkedIn,
0: yeah. LinkedIn.com. Uh, and, you know, feel free to find me. I'm happy to connect. But um, country first, country1st.com, please sign up. You can get involved. Someone from my grassroots team will reach out to you. Um, you know, we're launching chapters throughout the state. We'd love to get you involved. We are have different you know committees, copywriting, producing different, you know, content. Please join in and you know fill up the get involved thing on our website. Lastly, you know, Congressman Kinzinger, my boss, you know, my the leader that I hope will be here for generations to come and to, you know help my generation check him out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, everyone is on it nowadays, you know, rep Kinzinger or Adam Kinzinger. He has two profiles, right? The official government one, um, you know, that's going to be obsolete soon. So I would recommend checking out the at Adam Kinzinger profiles or also of course, all of our country first platforms, country ones two.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Really encouraged. The more I learned about country first, the more I was encouraged by it. And I think it's going to be a, a, a shining light and and a great salve for many of the problems that are ailing us as a culture and our polity, if you will. So thank you, Andrew. It was really great to get to know you better. It's been a real treat for me, seriously. For folks out there, if you like the show, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, tell a friend about us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in following us, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.podbean.com. That's politicsandreligion.podbean.com. And we're on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at tpnrpod. Again, at tpnrpod p a n d r pod at T P N D R pod and in the coming weeks we'll be launching a membership program with all kinds of exciting extras for those who join our community but mostly we just really appreciate you giving us a listen so for all of us here at talking politics and religion without killing each other thanks for visiting with us we'll be back in a few days to do our little part in tikkun olam